All right. Well, we're going to be continuing our series in Acts. Took a little break for Christmas time, and then uh, I took a couple weeks off for sickness, and I feel like I'm chomping at the bit to get a chance to, to preach. I, it's shocking to take a couple, for me, when I take a couple weeks off, how much I'm just like, listen, we got to do this thing. i got to get up here and preach, and uh, it's kind of burning in me a little bit this morning. Um, Hopefully I can keep it a little bit under control and not lose my brain up here with everyone. But we're continuing our series in Acts. Now it's been a while since we've been in it, so let me give you a reminder of what's been happening in the book of Acts. Acts is this transition time where Jesus has died and he's come back to life. And it's transitioning from this Old Testament law to the Old Testament Jewish people to this new thing that's getting started called the church. Like it's this small little band of about 100 people that are meeting in a room and all they're doing is praying and saying, hey God, we kind of want to just follow you. And he gave them this mission. Let me read these verses to you as you hear the mission that he gave to the early church. Out of the gate, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 He says this, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and notice this next part, and to the end of the earth. Actually, all the disciples record something like this. In Matthew, he says it this way, Matthew 28, 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples, and notice this next phrase, of all nations. I think Jesus was really, really clear that he's leaving a mission for these first believers, for the apostles, and for this early church, that their mission, the job that God himself is giving the church, is that we are supposed to take his gospel message, his good news, we're supposed to take it and proclaim it and live it out in front of every man, woman, and child in every corner of the earth. that's, That's the mission that he gave the first church And I actually believe it's the exact same mission that the church still has today. It hasn't changed. So this little band of of believers, here's their first step. They're supposed to go and just wait and pray. That's all they did is they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed. And all of a sudden there's this explosion on the scene. The Holy Spirit comes and this little band of a hundred quickly turns to 5,000 and 10,000. Like it's, it's spreading like wildfire in the city of Jerusalem. People are literally getting saved every day. And this new group called the church forms. It gets some enemies along the way and persecution breaks out. And the, the church, because of the persecution, spreads outside of Jerusalem. And it's spreading all over the country of Israel. It's going even to this place called Samaria. And where we ended last time is this guy that was leading the persecution of the church, a guy named Saul. He gets radically saved, becomes a follower of Jesus. And now the church is spread out and it's still growing and it's very, very busy. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be picking up in chapter 10, but in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, here's what happens after Saul gets saved. The the church gets a little bit of a break and the Bible describes it like this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So so here's this church. Now remember the mission. Supposed to go in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what they've done in nine chapters, they've gone to Jerusalem and to Galilee and to Samaria. They've, they've taken the first three steps of the mission, and the church is super, super busy. I mean, Peter is going to 
come back on the scene at the end of chapter 9, and he's traveling around. He's healing sick people. He even raises a lady back from the dead in Acts chapter 9. It's just all of it is crazy and powerful and shocking. The church is, is busy. It is big. I mean, I can't think of a more successful church. I mean, think about this. This group of guys that are uneducated fishermen, they now have campuses in every city in all of Jerusalem. They are a multi-site megachurch, like, and probably only in a matter of a few months. Like, they have literally saturated their country. They've saturated their entire country with the gospel. I, I need y'all just to think about that for a moment. A hundred uneducated people that exploded on the scene, like, this thing is powerful and it's strong, and the gospel is known through their whole entire country. But listen, don't let the success of the church hide the fact that there's actually still disobedience in this early church. Like, like the mission was not fill all of Jerusalem and Israel with the gospel, period. That was not the mission. The mission was to every single nation. And up to this point, up to this point, the church is exploding, but there is a massive bridge the church hasn't even tried to cross yet. They, they don't want to do it. I'm just going to tell you, we're going to find out today, they literally do not want to do it because success can actually mask disobedience to the mission. And here's the issue for the early church. That, take the gospel to all nations. Take the gospel to every man, woman, and child that sounds great in theory unless you're a first century Jew, and here's why. For first century Jews, for a thousand years, they've been trained to be separate from every other nation. I don't look like them. I don't dress like them. I don't act like them. Those people are filthy. They're sinners. Like, like Jews literally, if they bumped into Gentiles, would go and wash the Gentile off of them. Because they were afraid they were contaminating. They, they felt like they couldn't even, it was like you got COVID from them, only it was spiritual COVID. Like if I bump into one of these unclean people, they've, they've probably been messing with idols. They've probably been having sex with people. Who knows what kind of bacon they've eaten this past week. And I go to the market and I bump into these filthy people and I, I can't bring that sin home on me. It's going to make me dirty and, and unrespectable. God won't like me if I look like those dirty people. And now all of a sudden, God shows up with this mission that says, no, I don't want you just to take the gospel to the people you're comfortable with. I, I don't care about your prudish rules. It, they've taken God's laws and they've expanded them to this prudishness that keeps them tight and contained. It's their way they're keeping themselves clean. And God is saying, I've got a mission for you. And, and for the first century Jew, this mission felt absolutely impossible. And not just that. You need to think about this. If the early Jewish church starts hanging out, hanging out with those Gentiles, you know what else it's going to do? It's going to start to hit, hurt their mission to the Jews. Like the Jews, you start hanging out with people who eat bacon, they got all sorts of questions about you, man. Like you hang out with those people who eat pork. They go to Sonny's and eat barbecue sandwiches with bacon wrapped on it. What kind of sinner does that? But, but listen, here's what you've got to hear. It doesn't matter how stubborn the church is or how scared the church is or how prudish the church is. God has a mission. And he will not stop 
no matter how fearful or scared or uptight the church is, he is going to accomplish his mission. And his mission is for every single man, woman, and child to get exposed to his grace and his mercy and his really kind good news. And he's not going to let our fear and stubbornness stop him from reaching people. Church, I want you to hear this about our God. He's committed to reaching people. That's, that's good news for me. He, he's, he's committed. If he was not committed to reaching people, I'm telling you right now, I don't make the cut. I, I'm not here because I was committed to reaching him. I am here because he was committed to reaching me, even when I was stubborn and resistant and distracted. He said, I love him. I'm going after that guy. And, and he did that for you, too. He looked at us and he didn't say, look at how awesome those people are. He looked at us and said, I want them to be part of my family. And he went after you. He went after you over and over and over. And no matter how many times you rejected or stumbled into sin or lost your way or got distracted, he kept coming saying, I love you and I want you. So, so here's God and he's got this mission and he's got literally tens of thousands of people in a country who are now following him. And none of them, none of them are taking his mission seriously. They're doing lots of good things. People are getting healed. People are getting brought back from the dead. Churches are everywhere. But they're not reaching the ones who are furthest from him. So God goes on the offensive. I want you to see what he does here. Let's see how God is going to move his church. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. I love this. I love the heart of God in this, to go after everyone. It says this, at, C at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. you got to love a guy named Cornelius. A centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So here's this, this centurion. He's an army official from Italy, and he's got the privilege of being stationed in Israel. And look at how it describes him. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household. Now, this is unique. Here's this guy that he stopped being an idolater, and he's now trying to follow the God of Israel. Now, he hasn't gone all in. He probably hasn't gotten circumcised yet. That's a lot to ask in a new member class uh, for a guy that's a full-grown warrior. Like, hey, yeah, you can join the church. We just got to stop eating bacon. There's a little detail about circumcision. Go ahead and... Hop on in. He's like, you know what, I think I'll just, I'll just attend for a while. That's Cornelius right now, but he's serious. Uh, he fears God with his whole household. He gives alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Like, I, I love this about Cornelius. Like, here's this guy who's saying, listen, I want God. I, I'm rejecting all the other idols. I want the one true God of Israel. Now, now here's what stands out to me. Here's the thing about Cornelius. Here's Cornelius pursuing God all the time, and here's the message of the Jews to him. You will never be fully accepted here. You ever felt that at church? Now listen, it's easy to be fully accepted at a church when you show up and you dress like everyone and you act like everyone and you know the lingo and you know the way things go, but, but here's Cornelius. He wants to be a part of the people of God. But there's a real clear, plain as day, stiff arm, and they're basically telling him all the time, yeah, keep giving your money, keep showing up, just stay at a distance, but you will never be fully accepted by God because you are one of those Gentile-type people. you got a past. you got a heritage that's gross. 
You're not a pure blood Jew like the rest of us. Yeah, maybe God will show you some grace, but you'll never be one of us. Not, not really, not fully. That, that's the message that Cornelius is getting from the Jews. But he's still praying and he's still seeking God. Verse three, about the ninth hour of the day, I think it's around 3 p.m., but on the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision while he's praying, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he, and he, uh, and he stared, at, stared, stared at him in terror. That's what happens when an angel shows up. They're not fluffy, fat girls with wings and white dresses. These are scary warriors from heaven. And he's like, dude, there's a freaking angel in my house. Like, this is scaring me. He's talking to me. He's, he's like, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now some send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. Simon Peter. Loud mouth, brash Simon Peter. Like, get that guy. He's lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. So, so here's Cornelius, and he's praying, and all of a sudden now an angel actually shows us, Cornelius, God's been watching you. and He likes you. He, go get Peter. There's a guy named Peter. Knucklehead, trust me, go get him, and he's got a message of God for you. Now, here's Cornelius. Here's what I love about Cornelius. When God tells him to do something, he doesn't sit around and think about it. He doesn't wait. He doesn't pause. He doesn't journal about it and say, I think I'll schedule that three weeks from now. He literally gets up from this message from God. Verse 7 says this, when the angel Lord spoke to him and had departed, right away he calls two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So the angel leaves and he doesn't wait five minutes. The dude grabs some guy and says, go get this guy named Peter. Here's what I saw. Bring him back to me. I, I love this. I love the fact that I see a person who literally, the moment that God says, do this, he moves right out of the gate. And, and I think this is risky for Cornelius. Like he knows how the Jews feel about him. And he's calling this guy, this guy named Peter, who's actually a really big leader in this Jewish movement. He's saying, will you come to my house and share a message with me? It's very risky. There's tons of re potential for rejection. And, and listen, I love this. He just does it. Now, God's got another issue he's got to work through. He's approached Cornelius, and he's getting him ready, but he starts to get Peter ready to actually go share the message with him. So he, next day we see Peter. Look at verse 9. And the next day as they were on their journey, these guys are approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. I don't know why he's giving us the time, but at noon, Peter's really, really hungry. And, and so here's what he does. He says he wants something to eat, and while they're preparing it, he fell into a trance. Verse 11. And here's this trance that Peter sees. Uh, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So, so here's Peter. He has no idea what's going on with Cornelius. He's sitting at his house chilling. He's hungry. He says, guys, can you make me some dinner? They're, while they're making him dinner, he's on the roof, and he has this little trance thing. I, I guess apparently visions are all the rage in Acts chapter 10. Uh, and so he has this vision, and this vision he has is there's this sheet that comes down, and it opens up, and in this sheet is all sorts of animals, like lizards and birds and pigs and all sorts of things that he, as a good little Jewish boy, is not even supposed to touch, let alone eat, and this voice from heaven says, Peter, get up and eat. Peter, uh, 
Uh, he's like, uh, by no means, Lord, absolutely not am I doing that. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Listen, Peter's not being high maintenance. He's not going, ooh, God, I'm a vegan. What, you're not going to put me some hummus and broccoli down here? You're giving me animals? He's not being a high maintenance person with this. He's not like, is that organic grass-fed beef or is that, that's not what's going on with Peter. He's not like, ooh, I don't want to get my hands dirty. That's, that's not the issue. The, the issue for Peter is this. The thing that God is asking him to do in Peter's mind makes him dirty and unclean. All of his upbringing is being pushed against in this moment by God. You ever had that moment? You ever had that moment where you feel like God is calling you to see something, like you see something about him in the Bible, and later you're like, that goes against everything my pastor told me growing up. My mom would turn over in her grave if she knew that I was about to go get me some pig. She would... That would not be okay. If the other men at the synagogue saw me right now, like, dude, it would be, there would be all sorts of talk going on. Like, like everything about this for Peter is uncomfortable. And God is asking him what in Peter's mind, Peter might actually consider this to be borderline sin. You need to think about that. This is what Peter is facing. God is calling him to do something that at the core of who he is, he believes is wrong. And what God is doing is at the core of what Peter believes, he's gotten off because this false teaching for Peter is keeping Peter and the entire Jewish church from actually obeying God in his mission. And it is, it is really easy for the church to get so clean and so pretty and so busy with our traditions that we actually begin to miss the call of God to engage his mission. Listen, man, church, tell me this is not the case in churches all over the United States. We've got rules about dignity and the way we look and the way we appear. And when when someone comes up to you and says, the mission of God is for you to reach your neighbor or your coworker, and I begin to have conversations like saying, hey, why don't you invite your unsaved neighbor over for dinner? The panic in your mind and in your heart about inviting an unsaved friend to come over to your house and eat dinner, we will almost lose our ever-living minds because we're scared out of our mind that somehow we will sin by having those people at our table. You're afraid they're going to ask you for wine or for beer. What do I do if they bring over a bottle of wine? I can't, you know what, I'm not even going to go there. I teach Sunday school. I want to be a deacon one day. I can't have a picture of that popping up on Facebook. And what happens for us is our prudishness and our traditions keep us from actually being obedient, obedient to the call of the mission of God. We're so afraid that we're going to get dirty or contaminated that we've actually become disobedient to the call of Jesus. And God is gently and kindly coming up to Peter saying, Peter, get up and eat. And he's like, I, I can't do that, God. That's, that's dirty. That's sin. I'm, gonna, I'm freaking out here. Verse 15, the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, don't call common. He said, listen, you, 
Who do you think you are, Peter? I decide what's clean. You don't. When I say it's clean, don't you dare. Don't you dare think you're wiser than me. Don't you dare think your traditions are smarter than me. I'm God. I'm king. I decide what's right and wrong. You and your buddies and your traditions don't ever. That's tough. But the reality is God is the authority. He alone is the authority. He alone decides what's clean and unclean. And none of us get to make that decision. We say, you decide, not me. You're in charge, not me. You're king, not me. You're wise, not me. So Peter does this three times. He's like, all right, Peter, I decide what's clean. Get up and eat. God, I can't... I can't do that. Don't call what I said clean. Don't call it common. Get up and eat. I, God, I can't. Peter, eat it. Three times he has this conversation, and then it's taken up into heaven. Now, now here's Peter. He's like in a whirlwind. Can you imagine this? Like everything that he knows is being shaken to its core. And then all of a sudden, verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius have made inquiry for Simon's house. They stood at the gate. So here he is. He's like, God, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't, I got to look back at Leviticus 11. Didn't you tell me not to eat pork? What does this mean? Like, I've got so many questions. Like, he's being rattled. And, and while he's in the middle of all that, he doesn't get a day. He doesn't get a week. He doesn't get 10 more lessons. He doesn't get to go read some books and talk with the other church people about it. While he's still wrestling with what God has told him to do, these dudes are already knocking at the door downstairs saying, we got sent here to look for Peter. Listen, I love this. So here's what happens. God keeps talking to him. Verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, look, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Look what Peter does. He gets up, he goes downstairs, and he says, let's go. Church, can I ask you a question? It raises this question for me. The quickness of Cornelius to obey what God says. The quickness of Peter to obey what God said in that moment to him stands out to me as an amazing act of faith. You know what I get concerned about sometimes? I ask myself this question, what does it take for me to actually do something when God speaks to me? Okay. Have you noticed how easy it is to hear a sermon and a call to action and never, ever actually move that call to obedience? To hear it and to say, man, that was good. I like that. Or I didn't like that. It made me uncomfortable. But to leave and never do anything about it? Have you realized how easy it is to read your Bible and have God put something on your heart and to put your Bible down and walk away and never actually act on what God has said? What does it take? What does God have to do to get you to actually do what he says? Like when was the last time you actually felt God tell you to do something and you actually got up and did it? 
When was the last time you actually felt God working on one of your deeply hold beliefs and you felt him saying, that's wrong, that's not what I want you to do, and it made you uncomfortable, and it made you feel awkward, and you were nervous about it, but you actually changed what you believe. When was the last time that happened to some of the people in this room? I get afraid that church becomes a place that's dangerous for your souls because you learn to hear the word, you learn to read the word, but we learn to disobey the word when we hear it all the time. And one of the reasons that the early church is so potent and so powerful is they literally, God said this, and they literally got up and did it right away. So Peter gets up, and he goes. He, he actually goes. This is super uncomfortable for him. Like, you need to understand, the whole walk to this city to go meet this guy named Cornelius the thing that's probably going on in Peter's mind and he grabs his friends and takes them with him is, what are we doing? Like, uh, uh, we're about to hang out with Gentiles. This is not okay. Let me, let me show you what happens uh, later on down here. Let me skip down to Acts chapter uh, 10 when Peter gets there. He says this, uh, verse 23, or verse 24 of Acts chapter 10. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. It took them some time to get there. And Cornelius was expecting them. Now look at what this dude Cornelius does. He's expecting this guy to show up. And he called together his relatives and his close friends. So, so Peter's not just showing up to one Gentile. Maybe they can stop the spread there. There's an entire house full. Cornelius has gone after every relative in town and every friend that he knows. Like this has gone from not just a little group of like one little dude, this has gone to a full-on, all-out, uncomfortable, anti-Jewish rally for him. Like, this is so not churchy. This is so not dignified for the leader of the church at this time. And he walks into that room, and, man, dude, I love Cornelius. This bro's like, I'm getting everybody I know because there's a message from God coming. He's like, I'm not just going to obey God a little. I need to make sure everyone I know meets this God. Verse 28, here's how Peter starts his message. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Look at Peter. He's already changed his belief. He walks in that room, and I'm, I'm trying to imagine the discomfort of it. This is, this is a guy that's been a deacon in a Baptist church for 40 years, never had a sip of alcohol in his life, and all of a sudden his unsafe friend says, can you come to my house for dinner? And you show up, and you got people all over the place, and every single one of them got a beer in their hand. Like this is that I'm going to sweat because I'm a deacon moment, right? I'm going to sweat because I'm a good Baptist. And Peter's right there in the thick of it, and right out of the gate he says, you know I shouldn't be here, right? It's... It's not acceptable that I'm here. You know what God showed me? Just yesterday, he just showed me. Man, God told me not to call you unclean what he's called clean. You're, you're not common. You're one of his, you're a person that he loves and sent his son to die for. So here's Peter, like in this totally uncomfortable position. And he is still going to obey God no matter how uncomfortable it is for him. So he begins to proclaim the gospel. He says, you know about Jesus? 
He died. He came back to life three days later. Let me skip down to verse 42. I'll just read from 39. I'm sorry. He says, and we're witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. He says, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Talking about Jesus. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who've been chosen by God as a witness. He showed up and I saw him. Look at verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And to him... All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Like, Listen, Peter's just getting warmed up in his sermon. And while Peter is still preaching, look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Like They're sitting there, Peter's mid-sermon. I mean, he's at the intro of his sermon. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. He died and came back to life. All the prophets tell about him. Now, let me tell you what the prophets said. And before Peter even gets it out, dude, all of them in this room start speaking in tongues like they did in Acts chapter 2. And Peter and all his buddies are like, whoa, dude, what is, what is happening right now? Like, we thought this was like a really clean Jewish thing. These are Gentiles, man. Hey. God's given them the Holy Spirit? Like, God is literally dumping the Spirit on these people who, have no, who had no chance to be a part of God's people because of the way they were born. And he's making them, in that moment, in front of these Jews, he's making them part of the family of God. And they're watching it happen, and right out of the gate, Peter's like, you know what, we're baptizing these dudes. And they go and baptize every single one of them. Now listen, there's about to be a huge fallout for Peter and the church for this, but I don't want to get into that this week. Here's what I want you to hear. Listen, what, type, what would have happened if Peter would have decided, that's too scary for me, God. That you want me to go talk to these Gentiles? That makes me too uncomfortable. What ministry opportunity would Peter have missed if he would have said, God, that's going to look bad. That's going to tarnish my reputation among the leaders and the church people, if I show up to these Gentiles and people hear about it, what ministry opportunities would Peter have missed out if he just said, God, I'm too busy to go talk to a bunch of Gentiles. Send someone else. I'm super busy with all these Jewish people I've got to lead. and I've got 20,000 believers spread all over the country. You want me to go talk to a, room, a living room full of Gentiles? Listen, All the reasons we give sometimes to not obey God, I believe are causing you and me to miss tons of amazing moves of God happening right in front of our face. God has you in your neighborhood. He has you at your work. He has you rubbing elbows with people who are far from God and we are too busy or too scared or too prudish and worried about a reputation to engage the mission and obey God. And you're missing a chance to see God do right in front of your face what you, you can't even imagine what would happen. We're missing it. Church, I don't want us to miss it. I want us to see God use us. I want us to see people get saved. I, we don't want to be a church that's filled with clean people who don't need a Savior. 
We're supposed to be a church jam-packed with people who were far from God and met an amazing Savior and heard the glorious good news that God loves them and sent his son to die on the cross for them. That's who we're supposed to be. We're not a club for the clean. We're a hospital for the sick. And we will never be that. We will never be that until we get up off our rear ends and obey the command of God to engage the lost. We will always be a club for the clean as long as the clean decide they're too afraid to get dirty. We'll always be a place for the elite and the pristine as long as we're afraid of getting sick. We'll always, we will always be distant and removed until we get over our fear of a tarnished reputation and begin to love those who are far from God. Church, what I'm telling you is this. We will never fulfill the mission of God and reach the people of Tallahassee and send missionaries to the ends of the earth until we get over ourselves and our reputation and our fear of getting dirty and fall madly in love with Jesus and say, I'll take your news wherever you tell me. Never. We'll we'll never get there until you and me decide we're putting down this facade and engaging people around us. Do you want to be a part of that? I know I do. That is God's mission. And so my call to you today is this. Let me give you a few ways you can respond. I mean, for you, I want you to worship God for being a God that pursues people who are far from him. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be people who are like, we're totally in awe that God will reach people and go after people even when we're slow and stubborn. Listen, I, I want you to pray for God to guide you. One person you should reach out to this week, just one. Have a meal with them. Invite them to your house and pray that God gives you an opportunity to share the gospel. Get coffee with them. Just one person. This week, look around you and look for one person who's far from God that he wants you to engage. It may be a loved one. It may be a neighbor. It may be a coworker. It may be a complete stranger. I don't know. But don't let another week go by that you hear the call of God to engage his mission and you sit down and say, that's nice. Maybe one day I'll do it. No, you get up and you obey him now. And finally, for some of you hearing all this and talk about engaging people who are far from him is the furthest thing from your mind. What you need is you need to actually meet Jesus and be saved. Listen, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, if, if you've been that guy like Cornelius where you've, you've felt like, man, I feel like I'm kind of far from God. I might like to get to know him, but I've always feel like I've been told he'll never accept me. I want you to hear the good news today. God sent his son Jesus to die for every single man, woman, and child. No matter how bad you've been, how many mistakes you've made, how broken you've been, how distracted you've been. It doesn't matter what you've been addicted to. It doesn't matter what you've done to other people, what's been done to you. He loves you, and he wants you to be a part of his family. And he says, listen, if you will just place your trust in what Jesus did for you and ask him to save you, he'll, he'll accept you and bring you in. He wants you to be a part of his family. Don't let the, the prudishness of people who follow Jesus make you think that God doesn't want you. He wants you, and he loves you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give us a moment to pray. Um, and if you need to speak to one of the pastors, we'll be down front at the end of the service. But now's a chance I want to give you a few moments just to, to do business with God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? 
and, and right there in your seat, if, if you feel like God called you to do anything, I, w- I want you to actually obey him and commit him that you're going to do it this week. If you felt that you've been too afraid to gauge the omission because of prudishness or because of fear, because it was too uncomfortable, would you repent of that and tell God, God, I'm, I want to be a person that obeys whatever you call me to obey. Listen, maybe the thing that's happened in you is you're just in awe this morning. The thing that got in your heart, you're just in awe that God pursues people who are far from him. Would you just take a moment in your seat and praise him for being that persistent and that loving and that kind? If you're here today and what you realize is, man, you just need to place your trust in Jesus and be saved. Listen, right there, you're seeing, just ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you and place your trust in him and he'll do it. Heavenly Father, God, help us to be a people that love you. And help us to be a people that take that good news to all those around us. God, I'm praying that you would do a work in and through us as a people that we would get the privilege of celebrating seeing you save our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. God, I'm praying that you would call out people to go overseas to the nations, to those who, who will never hear the gospel unless we send more gospel people. That I'm praying help us to be a church that sends and launches missionaries over and over and over again. God, I pray you would make us a church that would seek to obey your command of taking the good news to every man, woman, and child in in all the earth. God, help us to do that. God, I pray we don't do it because of guilt. I pray we do it because of love. But I'm asking you to work in us as a people that we be a people that do that. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.